0: I pray for dad and we'll get started. Jesus, there's, there's not one person in this room that is fully restored yet, where the job's finished. In fact, the job on all of us will be finished until uh, you return and you fix everything. And even then, there'll be all this revelation and understanding and engagement with you that will happen for all of eternity that we don't have yet. So, God, we, uh, we really need you to be involved with us today. And so we just. Um, ask on the basis of your mercy and your grace, your good gifts to us, that you come and you help us today, that your Holy Spirit would be active, that uh, the thing is said today, that your dad would, uh, would be good words, be useful words to you, Holy Spirit, so that you can do in our hearts what needs to be done. Amen. Thank you all. We don't have any PA system, so thank you, for Lord, he do one in for me. But uh, it's good to come and be with you. I know many of you, faces. some of you have heard so well. But uh, it's great to come and share the things that God's doing in each of our lives. And I'll bet I'd go too far up with you, or I'll go to get a kick next time. So, as we share together today, I just want to, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book called The Wounded Healer. Anyone read that one? Anyway, it's by Henry Newman I just want to just read this. When you come and sit here like this morning, uh, I wonder what you expect when someone gets up to preach or to teach you something. Uh, what, what's going on in your very being right at the moment? What do you expect? What, what do you require the person, and etc., etc.? I just want to read these few lines. We can say that the Christian leader leads humans to confession, in the classic sense of the word, to the basic affirmation that humans are human, and God is God, and that without God, humans cannot be human. Now, that might be a little bit of a mouthful, but what I was trying to say, the only way each of us here will ever come to know the humanity that we're meant to understand and know is through the God in whose image we were made. And then he goes down to say this, Preaching means more than handing over tradition. It's rather the careful and sensitive articulation of what is happening in the community so that those who listen can say, You say what I only suspected. You clearly express what I vaguely felt. You bring to the fore what I fearfully kept in the back of my mind. Yes, yes. You say who we are. You recognize our condition. And uh, so today as we just journey in this short time that we have, I just want us to realize that we are here on a journey that uh, after 38 years in formal ministry, and now, a few years since retired, it makes me re- realize the privilege of helping each other to journey deeper and deeper into our humanity. I'm going to just use a little old saying that last Hodges used. How are you feeling, and how are you recognizing your reality as a chip off the old block? How are you realizing how are you seeing yourself today as a chip off the old block? We're going to talk about that. But let me just share with you right up to date. I had a chance to talk with a guy just a few days ago. And I said, do you mind me asking a straight question? Because he was saying some things I wasn't quite working out where he was coming from. I said, do you believe in God? And he said, Yes. Now, you and I know, if you ask the question, do you believe in God, you can expect any sort of response. And as I talked with this man, he said, I've been impacted after trying to go to three different churches, he didn't say which ones, I end up being impacted by Buddhism. And that was very interesting, because he believes in God And yet he sees God only as a force. He sees Jesus as being married to Mary Magdalene because the internet says so. And it was very interesting to journey with him. And yet in the midst of all of his confusion were actually some amazing truths. And so we talked over many things together. He says there can't be a God which seemed so contradictory to what he told me at the beginning. Because if Jesus was God, then he was in a body, and therefore he couldn't be God doing anything. So it was amazing the confusion that came out of that conversation. But it made me realize as Christians, how much have we gotten mixed up with all sorts of traditions and all sorts of spurious sort of little extras into our Christianity. And so, what I want to talk about today is a realisation that in your life and mine is an amazing and wonderful promise, and that is, no one can come to me, says Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And when I look around here knowing many of you, I know that most of you can take hold of a little, not such a little word... Word, but the word justification. You know what it is to come to Christ. You know the wonder of what it means to be born again. You know what it is to have a rich reality of the living spirit of God within you. And that the death of Jesus Christ in time and space and history enables the door of your lives to be open to the forgiveness a new life that's in Jesus Christ alone. That is amazing truth. And I just want to reinforce that, not to preach on the old, old story this morning, but it's time we Christians realise whether we're talking to this young man confused by Buddhism, when he meditates twice a day. How's that? How are you going with your time with God? At least twice a day? How are we going, Christians? Are we handling that okay? Because this guy twice a day spends anything up to two or three hours in meditation. Because he's trying to find a real him inside of you. And it made me realise that for us as Christians, we're very good at playing games. We wonder why our Christianity couldn't blow the hair off a peanut, when in actual fact we don't know what it is to really have time in the presence are the most amazing one in all the world, our Heavenly Father. And so in John seventeen three, I believe it puts it so powerfully for us, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. What amazing verse, that you may know. And if you get back to that word know in the Greek, it is an intimacy of not only just Knowing about somebody, it's knowing somebody. There's a big difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. And so today, we need to ask ourselves as Christians, where's our Christianity at? Is it that I know that God loves me? That's good, but it's not worth a cracker in the marketplace. I want to know, do you know Him by faith? Do you experience Him daily in your walk? And as we think about that, it's interesting to me that when I go to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm racing over a lot of stuff, but if ever you want to get an amazing book on understanding the Beatitudes, it is the book by Dallas Willard on on, uh, the conspiracy, the divine conspiracy, about how God really works in our world, and how we who are Christians are blessed. We are blessed so powerfully. You're not happy, you're not necessarily going to be joyful, you're not necessarily going to be fulfilled, but you are a blessed person. And you know what that state of blessedness is all about. It comes in the Greek word "makarios," And in that, it's the highest type of well-being that any human being can have. So when I go to the Beatitudes, and I read down the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, And I read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. And you can go on down those Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And when you have a look at the Beatitudes and you see the state of blessedness, you've got to realize that follow straight after chapter 4 of Matthew 4, because those people had come under a profound transformation. The last few verses of chapter 4 of Matthew tell you that the power of God had come on people, that people had been healed, they're transformation, that there's awe and wonder amongst people. And in that awe and wonder... Now Jesus is explaining to all these broken people, all these people who had broken uh, parts of their lives, now being dealt with by the new birth that had happened in their lives, He now explains that no matter what state you're in, and you're sitting here today, so I'm going to say, blessed are those people who are sitting at the Christian school building up here in Highfields, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're doing the dishes today, or cooking the meal, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You can add a thousand beatitudes of, of your own to that, because they are just the sample ones that Jesus gave you. The state of you and I, blessed are you in the poverty and the brokenness of your daily life, because for you is the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful place to be. And that's why when I read in Isaiah 52, 7, I hear these words. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of whom who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good tidings of of well-being, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. How beautiful. Right now, Whether you feel it or not, whether you're awake or asleep right at this moment, God is God in His reign. And what a powerful truth it is that every one of you here this morning are here for the purpose that the work of God might begin through justification in you so that you might be a living message to a world whether it's a young man who's been influenced by Buddhism, whether it's been personally influenced by materialism, whether there's been people controlled by their own sexuality or whatever it may be, no matter what the brokenness and poverty of a human being that you and I encounter, you and I, as Peter just showed you on that quote up here, uh, that you and I have a message and a truth that understands the human heart and the human need. How beautiful is that? I thank God for that, and I thank God for this young man, that I could spend those over an hour In talking through what he's all about and what life's all about. You know, as you and I sit here, it's very true. We're in a world where the intellect has taken over control. And we've lost the awe of the greatness of God. And we need again to be drawn back to the wonder of it all. And just think for a moment. The moment the Holy Spirit has entered your life and mine. The moment he's come, he is quickened to life, to be regenerated. My whole being senses its kingship to God, and leaps up in joyous recognition. You and I need to come back and be restored to that in a rich and deep way. But this is where I'm going to take you on to today. The sad part of most of our lives as Christians and particularly across the city of Toowoomba in this nation, is that we're like a little girl who when the lightning was flashing and the thunder rolled, she used to get so scared she kept falling out of bed. And as you sort of woke up without being really conscious, she'd fall out of bed. She'd go down, her mother would take her in her arms, put her back into bed. That happened two or three times. Until eventually the mother, in putting her child back to bed, putting the blankets back over that child, said, My dear little one, why do you think it is that you keep falling out of bed? And she looks at her mum and she says, Because I think I'm going to sleep too close to where I'm getting in. Now, I want to say to you that many, many Christians I meet are going to sleep too close to where they're getting in. And that they haven't got a hold of the reality. Of what you are meant to be in Christ. You see, the whole idea of justification, and put, I'm going to show you this now, a little bit ahead of time. You probably can't see it too often where you're sitting. <coughs> but there's three circles that represent what our Christian walk should be all about. And most Christians have got this circle of justification. Naturally, if you're a Christian, justification has touched your life. You can't call yourself... Uh, child of God, unless justification has become real. Most of us, of course, spend our time now (coughs) trying to work our little hearts out to be a little bit more godly in our appearance. And what we do is we leap out the center leap that takes you from what it means to be a child of God to being day by day in the reality of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the centre one here that I want to talk about today is the one called adoption. When you're sitting here today, (coughs) do you understand what it means to be adopted? Do we have any adopted people here? No one? Anyone adopted a child or any of them? I want to tell you an incident that happened to me just a couple of months ago here in Kowoomba. A guy had come from over in Western Australia, a pastor of many years. He'd come to a conference in Canberra, (coughs) excuse me, and um, after he'd been to Canberra, he decided to use the time while he was over in the eastern states to come to Toowoomba and find out what it was that gave us the unity as Christians in the city of Toowoomba. So, what Ian Shelton did. In arranged for several pastors, including myself, to come and spend a few hours with his pastor from Western Australia. When it was my turn, and it just shows you how dull of mind we can be at times, I pulled up at TCC, hopped out of my car, I'd raced for one thing and I had another appointment. I could have done without this one in the middle. And I said to the I don't know what I'm doing here. All these other characters. Pastors of the city have been talking to this pastor. What am I coming here? Taking cold in Newcastle, that was mentality. And, uh, and I walked in there and I sat down and began to talk to this man who I'd never met before but had been a pastor. And uh, I looked down on the table and there was a book sitting on the desk in front of him where he was sitting. And it's this one called I Am Your Father. And I just looked down after we talked for five or ten minutes, I said, have you read that book? He said, no, Ian Sharpton just dumped it in front of me and said, it's yours. And then I began to talk to him about what it is to be adopted as a child of God, because that's what the book's about, you see. And as we talked about adoption, he began to cry. And he said, Rolly, you don't know my story. He said, I was a pastor in Western Australia and I decided two years ago (coughs) that my wife and I wanted to go and do a year's work in Africa. So we went to Africa and while we were in Africa, we adopted two African children. We adopted them. And he said, we brought those two boys back to Australia. They live with us as part of our family now. And he said those two boys have been adopted oh thanks, George, Australia. Those two boys have been adopted into our family. But I want to tell you something. They you've just been hitting the nail on the head, though they're adopted, they don't live as adopted children. In other words, when I start driving a car and I've never driven one in their life, they've always got to be telling me how to drive the car. When I go shopping, where they never had been in a shop before in Africa, in a shop like we have in Australia anyway, that they start telling me where I've got to find everything. they haven't got a clue. And he said, what I soon found out is that these two children that we adopted, though they are formally adopted with all the signed papers, have never understood what it means to be adopted. Because all the time they've got to be outdoing me. They're always going to be trying to prove themselves. They're always always going to try and be better. Rather than realising that they are now adopted into our home and that we love them unconditionally and that they now belong as a part of our family and they are secure, we will not reject them. They are now firmly, firmly belonging to us. And he said, rolling, but the story hasn't quite finished there, because he said, what I realise and what you've shared with me today is the fact is that I have lived as a father who has never known true adoption. And the problem has been mine just as much, if not more so, than the two African children that I brought from Africa to be adopted into our family. I share that story with you because it concerns me deeply that many of us Christians, with all the sincerity that we can, are endeavoring to be sanctified, or as you see the big word on the end, sanctification, which means a daily working of becoming more and more (laughs) godly or godlike. But the problem that you and I then operate in, we operate in a spirit of an orphan, and that most Christians in Australia, I believe, are operating without the powerful understanding of adoption. And it's very fascinating to me that when the Reformation came back many centuries ago, that Luther never taught on adoption because he had such a poor relationship with his father that he could never see God as a kindly father. And maybe for some of us here... We have fathers who have left images upon us that have not always been very good. And so one of the key truths of our great work of salvation, of God's great work of salvation, is this area of adoption. Now I want you to sit there for a moment and ask yourself just in these few moments, how well do you identify yourself as a child of God How clearly do you see yourself as a son and a daughter of a father? How richly do you see when the disciples say, teach us to pray, in other words, how do I have real intimacy with God? What's the first thing you've got to say? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, it's all out of adoption. It's identification with God as your Father. Now, if you go through the Old Testament... The Old Testament has so many words for God if I started to say them to you between Yahweh, and Jehovah, Adonai and all the rest of them we'd be here for another hour or two just rattling off some of the names. But if I go to the New Testament and I ask you what's the name for God in the New Testament? What's the name that's used over and over and over again in the New Testament? What is it? Is it Jehovah? Yahweh, what is it? It's Father. <coughs> so the name for God is Father. So for us here today, we need to get a hold of what it means to be an adopted child of God. So let me just take you through just a few things regarding that this morning. The highest blessing, is J.I. Packer. If you've ever read any of his books, anyone read any of Packers? Some of you are nodding. J. I. Packer, a very well known evangelical author, says this that we are that the highest blessing of the gospel now, that's a pretty strong statement. The highest blessing of the gospel, says J. I. Packer, listen to his words, that we are adopted as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you look at an old grey-haired fellow like this, as my son calls me the old man, when you look at this old fellow here, you know what my greatest need is right now this morning? To be his kid. To be his son. To be his child. And to be as Hebrews 2 says, where it says that I am a brother of Jesus. To live daily in that intimacy, is what Jedi Packer says is the highest blessing of the gospel. And I see Christians who go around and tell me, I know God loves me, but I don't feel it. I know this and I know that. It's alright to have this intellectual understanding, but we need to grab hold of the reality of that adoption that takes place. We need the loving spirit of adoption to penetrate the deepest parts of my life. Every morning I have a time with my dad and one of the things I say to my dad every day is my dad, my greatest need is that you would be my dad. I call him my dad, my Abba, as you find it in Romans and Galatians. And there it talks about the intimacy. I want to know my God as a loving father. I need to know the penetrating power of adoption in my life. I want to know about this divine disclosure of the true nature of God. And so Galatians 4, 6 says this, and listen to these passages because they're just so powerful. Because you are sons, in other words you can add daughters into that too, because you are sons and daughters God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who cries out, Abba, day! What a powerful statement from Galatians 4, 6. When God sent the Holy Spirit into your life, He came for the purpose to affirm in you your sonship, your belonging as a child of God. And it is the Spirit of God that cries out, Abba, Daddy. And as I stand here today, I don't care whether you're the youngest one in the room or the oldest, the greatest need of your heart is to say to the Holy Spirit, just speak deep into me my belongingness. Speak deep into me my childhoodness. (coughs) Now, someone put it this way, that for most Christians, we need to be careful that we don't have a theology that brings light to the head, but not heat to the heart. We need to be careful we don't have a theology that brings light to the head, but doesn't bring heat to the heart. Have you ever asked yourself the question, when you go to the Old Testament, and you go to Deuteronomy 6, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with who they tell me, with all your heart, and soul." And strength. When you go to the New Testament in Matthew, Mark and Luke and you see those references, what's the difference between the reference in Deuteronomy 6 and the references in the New Testament? What's the difference? Anyone ever seen the difference? The difference is, in the New Testament is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Now why doesn't a Hebrew mention the mind? Because the mind to a Hebrew never is separated from his heart. And that's why when you go to the Word of God it says it is with your heart that you believe and are saved. And so you you and I are going to realise that when we get to the Greek use of the New Testament they separate it and make sure you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's not that there's something wrong with the scriptures in the Old Testament, but the Hebrew mind never separates the mind and the heart. And we need to be careful as Christians. We get knowledge, but it must also operate with the heart. Otherwise, we will not know the sonship that we belong to. So the question that we must ask, what happens And this is a key one I want you all just to think about for just a moment. What happens to believers who know that they're justified, they're born again, they're a child of God, but who have no real sense in their hearts that they are adopted by a perfect father? And there are some of you here, I can say without any doubt, that you are in that sad position. What happens... a person who's justified knows Jesus Christ, you don't have to preach salvation to them, they know it well but they don't know the wonder of adoption what happens let me explain to you what happens and this is why many of us struggle here firstly, believers who have no doctrine or experience of adoption will basically relate to God as a master not as a father so when you're sitting here today, how do you think when you think of your relationship with God, do you see it as you towing a line and meeting God's expectations? Then you have a master relationship. Master slave relationship. If you're sitting here today knowing that you're so loved by God, Brennan Manning, a man who's written many amazing books, but one that's just come out late last year, and he's on his deathbed, and he probably won't live out this year. He can't feed himself, he can't even drink from his coat can any longer, he can't even toilet himself, he's in such a weak state. But the thing, as he wrote his final book, as a farewell to all the people who he's ministered to over his years. He says, in all the brokenness of my life, in all the struggles I had with alcoholism as a Catholic priest, and all those things that I failed in in my life, One thing sustained me in it all, and it is that Abba loved me, and more than that, he liked me. And I want to say to you today every time we see things, the chinks in our armor, it's always a reminder that that's an area where the love of God is yet to enter in. Because when the love of God comes, there's nothing more powerful than love. Love transforms anything. There is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. A master-servant relationship is what many people are walking in as Christians, instead of a father-son relationship. People, many Christians, see God as a master who must be obeyed, rather than a father whom one would never want to grieve. I love the reality of my life. I am a character who can foul it up in the next five minutes. I can think things that never never honour God. I can do things, I can act in ways that are not God honouring. I am far from being the perfect believer that I ought to be. I know all these things. But one thing I know, that my Abba loves me. And my word of God says that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And when I fail my father, it is a grief that comes because the deepest and most precious part of my life is my relationship with my dad. And only sin can break that depth of fellowship that I desire to be constant in my life. And I see it in so many ways which we haven't got time to develop. Are we slaves rather than sons? Are we the lovers of law rather than lovers of the law of love? I want to go back to Ephesians to where Nathan read to us and then we'll close. In Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 we read some of the most precious words that you and I as believers this whole passage of Ephesians in Christ, in Christ in Christ comes at us all the way through but I just want to take one little section and then we'll close it says in verse 4 and 5 for he chose us in him he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given to us in the one he loves. We have so much in that little two verses, but I only want to take one simple little truth for you today, and it's this. You see, in that verse 4 it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, that's what my NIV says. I disagree with my NIV. What am I I trying to say to you? I prefer the version of the authorised version or the revised version of the New English Bible. Because when you read verse 4, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, full stop. That is not the way it should be translated out of the Greek. It should be in love, which starts the next sentence, should be the last of that sentence previously. Let me try to explain to you why I'm being technical about this. Listen to what happens when I shift the in love back into the first part of verse 4. For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Now I don't know whether you're getting it. May the the Holy Spirit help you now. We learn that it's only out of the relationship of love that I stand holy and blameless. I stand here today, I'm holy and I'm blameless because I'm in love. It is God's love that brings me my perfection. It's God's love that gives me my blamelessness. And how beautiful and wonderful is that. Knowing your love by the Father causes you to reciprocate that love and therefore choose to be holy because you are passionate about God. In all my years in pastoral ministry, I spent 90% of it as more seeing God as my master and I deserve. It. But God says, you are no longer my servant. You are my friend. You are no longer servants. You are now, as um, Henry Nguyen says, many people say, I want to work for God. He says, that is slavery. He says, you've got to go with God. And my whole desire of 2012, and I want it for every one of you, is for you to be able to sit here the day and say, Heavenly Father, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And that this year, the one thing about everything else, don't confuse Christianity. The one thing that I desire, and that's all, is my intimacy with you. The rest will find its place. People say, if you love me, obey me. We put the emphasis on the obey. The scripture does not. The scripture says, if you love me, you will obey me. It comes out of relationship of love. The fire of God's love burns within our hearts when we understand adoption. And no way do we want it ever quenched. I sat in front of a TV program. I've seen the crudeness what comes across our television. Or you can come through the internet, whatever. But the moment that comes, I have a moment of choice. And you know what my choice is? Dad, if it breaks my relationship with you, if my love for you is quenched in any way by this garbage and filth that's in front of me, I do not want it, because I paid the price for far too long, as Romans eight says. That the sufferings that I talked about in Romans eight are the sufferings of what sin does to rob you of an intimacy. It's that suffering in Romans eight that it talks about that is that which then every person around us can rob us of the richness of God because of the sin that's operating in their life. How beautiful that God comes to me in His love. And so the heavenly passion eclipses all earthly passions. It's a hard call to be holy and blameless if you don't know God as Father. And one of the things, in conclusion, is that this sheet here, and I only copied a few, but if it's helpful to you, whenever I hand this out to people, there are two columns. Down the middle is uh, things like dependency, image of God, need of approval, self-image, source of comfort, fear, relationships, view of authority. If you have an orphan heart, let me give you an idea. If you have an orphan heart, this is how you as a Christian have a self-image. Soft Self-rejection soft from comparing yourself to others. But if you have a father's heart, you have a positive and, you are positive and affirmed because you know you are so valued by your heavenly dad. No peer person. No pressure of any other person. No response of anybody else. Nobody who wants to kick you in that whatever none of those things can take away if you are in a fatherhood relationship. But if you have an orphan heart the moment someone criticizes you, judges you, you immediately have to attack to defend yourself because you have an orphan heart. This sheet gives you a whole list. And one po- final comment is um, I have the privilege gained by Rainsville Community Church to run the series Intimacy with God again this year. We'll be starting at the end of January. If you want an application form, if the Spirit of God is saying to you, I hear what you're saying, I don't fully yet understand it, then I do a 12 weeks course which I did last year with four men and three women and it was life-transforming stuff. And we do it for 12 weeks on a Tuesday morning or Wednesday night. We're limited hopefully to only eight or nine in every group. Because there is where we walk the journey to true intimacy, which lays a foundation for everything in your life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you then for this time. We thank you for the beauty of our adoption. We thank you that we are complete in Christ. That Jesus said... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. I do nothing unless my Father tells me. I do nothing unless I see my Father do it. We just see the beauty that Jesus, who came to this earth, yes, to die on a cross, to remove our sins. But the purpose of all of that, as J.I. Packer said, the most glorious aspect of the Gospel, is our adoption to be taken back to be children of the Father to know what it is to know the Father's heart Jesus came to take us back to the Father that was a primary purpose of redemption and Father we thank you we praise you for that and we just want to commit each other to you and pray that in what's being shared today no one is sitting here feeling judged no one is sitting here feeling condemned I pray that no one will be sitting here feeling as if they've been tongue-lashed, but that they may just hear by your Spirit the beauty of that journey, whether you be a man at the end of his years of ministry or whether you be a young one here today, that, Lord, we would take up the reality of adoption and realize that the link between sanctification and justification is nothing else. But the duty of adoption. And Lord, we now submit each other to you and thank you for this time this morning. In your wonderful name, Amen.